Welcome to the Well Community Church. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in, for watching, whether you're with a church community, or maybe you're watching in a small group setting, or maybe you're catching these later on your own, our prayer is that you would really be encouraged to read the Bible in community with others in a church. Because if you read the Bible, you realize that's exactly what the Bible calls us to. And so one of the things we've tried to do in this teaching series is we've tried to talk about and learn about what it means that the Bible points us to the fact that it's more than just a book. It's a way that God has spoken to his people and has used his spirit to not only inspire the words, but to inspire us to want to be more like Jesus. And so there's this beautiful tension that we often don't think about or we forget about. And so I'm not sure about your experience. If, if you've just caught us here on session four, I want to encourage you to maybe watch the other sessions because they kind of build on each other. But this last session is going to be maybe the most practical, it'll feel most practical at times, to think about how most of our challenges with the Bible have to do with interpretation, with the fact that we can read a passage or a section of the Bible and feel like it means different things to you than it would to me. Now, some passages in the Bible are not that way. They're very, very clear. Like no one that you know or that I know is ever having a debate on whether it's okay to kill somebody. Murder is murder. The Bible says don't do it. And, you know, some things are clear. We can trust them, you know, whether we should love our neighbor. It kind of feels like a universal thing. Other religions even teach that as well. There's like these universal truths that we kind of embrace. But then there's other sections about the Bible, practical things about how we act in church and music or styles and sometimes preferences that start to really get in the way and make us not sure how to trust the Bible or approach it or understand it. So I want to talk a little bit about that in this last session. I want to show you something that's very, very special to me as I begin. I've told you different stories about me, whether it's learning about the Bible through a camp meeting or in a session one where... Uh, someone in my family burned Bibles. If you heard that session, you know what that was about. But this is one of the most special Bibles that I have in my house. Just a few months ago, actually at the end of last year, my grandmother passed away. And my grandmother was such a great example of someone whose life was transformed slowly by understanding God's love. And uh, when she passed away, my mom and my aunts and my uncle looked at different things in the house that represented the things that she loved. And this was one of the things that she held so dear, which is her Bible. And she made this cool cover for it. There's still a pen in it. And, and when I open it, I don't know if you could see this, like she, she would like underline sections and, and also she would make little pictures as reminders for herself of, of things God was teaching her. And, and I'm reminded that there's something about falling in love with Jesus that makes you want to grow in your understanding of scripture. That when we really are gripped by the love of Jesus, the eternal word of God, which we've talked about in the other sessions, that you actually realize that the primary way that God still speaks to us is through the Bible. Now, it's not the only way God speaks to us. The Bible says that God is trying to speak to us through nature. He speaks to us through reason and through experience, and that's good. But the primary way that God actually almost helps us to discern those other ways that he speaks to us is through the Bible. So my prayer is that even as we come to the end of these sessions, that you would realize that maybe there's a way of making the Bible more important in your life. 
whether it's carving out some time in the morning or during a lunch break where you use an app to go through something where you're reading the Bible, or most importantly, that you would find a church community, that you would start to sit and learn and worship and grow in your understanding of Scripture. As, as, I, as I looked at my grandmother's Bible and I think of her favorite passage in the scriptures that we used at her funeral was the great Psalm of David that we often have titled, The Lord is My Shepherd. And those titles are not there in some of the original manuscripts that we have or the oldest manuscripts that we have, uh, but they're, they're titles that help us understand the gist of the passage. You know, I think about like the beauty of understanding that the Lord is our shepherd. It's such a beautiful image that the writers in the Bible use, yet it's so foreign to us in the 21st century. Like I'm thinking, tell you the truth, like I've never met like a shepherd. I don't even think like I've ever been close to a sheep. And so you could read the Bible and feel so disconnected to the imagery that the Bible uses that you get discouraged and you're like, I'm not reading this. It's just so foreign to me. These ideas about a fig tree or shepherds and fields. And, but, but it's really the Bible speaking in a certain context. And yet out of the truth and the learning of that context, we can still apply things to our life today. One of the most profound things Jesus will leave his followers, one in particular named Peter, is at one point when he's talking to Peter at the end of uh, one of the Gospels before Jesus is actually going to go back and be with the Father in his, in his rightful place of authority. He's going to tell Peter over a long conversation that they have together, he's going to leave Peter with this command. He's going to say, Peter, feed my sheep. It's such a beautiful image. It's like, Peter, the people that follow me will need help to be fed. Now, as a pastor, I've spent most of my life trying to do that. Now, I'm not Peter. I don't claim to be Peter. Peter's very special. You know, there's some leaders in the first century that are special. We don't really compare ourselves to them. They're the great martyrs of the faith. They're the great early followers of Jesus, right? The apostles. But there's something about what Jesus said to Peter that still applies, that we are still helping people feed on the teachings of Jesus. Jesus wasn't just saying, like, feed my people, like, feed them food, but feed them the food that's the words of life that will give them life. Now, I wish Jesus would have told Peter something that I had to learn early on as a pastor, that most people today don't really want to be fed. They want to feed themselves whenever they want. Or if you just try, try to feed them or try to help them read the Bible and study it, they kind of are like, I don't want this. I'll do it on my term when I want it. And I think of the picture of a baby or my kids when we were trying to feed them and they were just learning to feed themselves and food was all over our house, food was in their hair, in their face. I sometimes wish Jesus would have said, hey, by the way, Peter, while you start to feed the sheep, they're not always going to want to eat this food. So just buckle up. You're going to have to really trust me. And so I pray that you're in some ways open to letting God through servants and pastors and teachers kind of help you feed. Now, the Bible does talk about a self-feeding approach, and I want to talk about that in a few minutes. There are times when we read the Bible alone, but there's parts of the Bible that very much from the beginning, God said, we need help to feed on it. Like I needed help when I was becoming a Christian and still teachers and mentors help me learn how I can understand the Bible better so that I can teach it. And so in this, first se in this last session, sorry, I, I want to just help us understand how when we're feeding on the scriptures, we actually understand that there's different interpretive ways that we can approach the Bible. Now, I want to just begin quickly with a Bible story again. And it's this moment when Jesus has what I like to call the great Bible battle in all of the scriptures. It's this, this uh, confrontation that Jesus has with the devil in the desert. Some of you maybe heard this story before. It's this profound moment, again, kind of right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, where Jesus goes into the desert, the Bible says, and in the desert, he's going to fast and he's going to be there for 40 days. 
and he's going to be tempted in different ways by the devil, by this symbolic figure of evil that's going to come to us. And I don't know what image comes to mind when you think of that or the devil. But we're told as Jesus is having this interaction with the devil that he's hungry and he's tired and, he, and he's been fasting. And there's something that we're meant to understand that Jesus in that moment is doing in the desert what Israel could never do. Like Jesus now is going to become, in a sense, the new Israel. He's going to do what, G what Israel should have known to do, which is trust God when they're in the desert, which is a story in the Hebrew Bible, in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy in the desert. So you have this interaction. And the devil begins to tempt Jesus. And one temptation is about whether he's really the son of God, kind of questioning Jesus's identity. Like, are you really the son of God? Or maybe for us in our series, are you really the eternal incarnate word of God, Jesus? Are you really that? And guess what Jesus will do? He will kind of gently correct the devil by quoting the Bible. And this is what we're told in Luke's gospel, that Jesus says to the devil, it is written, man or woman shall not live on bread alone. Like that, that as he's tempting Jesus and as they're interacting this way, he's saying, listen, I don't need to turn uh, the rocks into bread to eat. I don't need to do all the things that you're tempting me to do. All these temptations, Jesus gently begins to use the scriptures to correct the devil. It's such a profound reminder that Jesus would have grown up reading the scriptures of Israel. Like Mary and Joseph would have sat with Jesus. They would have sat with him like as a little boy and trying to teach him and being faithful Jewish parents and being like, we're going to tell you about the Exodus. We're going to tell you about why Passover is so important, Jesus. And in some ways, we're not sure when Jesus realized, hey, a lot of this is about me. I think it's, it's really special. And so you have this moment where Jesus, throughout this temptation narrative in the Bible, will reference the Hebrew Bible by correcting the devil. And then something happens that nobody's ready for. That at one point in this interaction between Jesus and the devil, the devil will respond to Jesus. And will kind of, remember, this is the Bible battle that's going on. And the devil will do something that no one expects. And this is what we're told happens in Luke chapter 4, verse 9. The devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. In a sense, maybe it's an image or it's something that Jesus is seeing. And we're told this, that the devil says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike foot against a stone. I mean, I don't know if you caught this or if you've ever caught this, but the devil just quoted the Bible to Jesus. The devil actually references a passage in the book of Psalms that is found in the written scriptures of Israel on Jesus. It's a great reminder that even the devil knew the Bible. Even the devil could use the written writings of Israel to coerce them, to make them say something, to trick Jesus, the eternal word of God. And Jesus quickly corrects the devil by saying, you know, God is not someone you can tempt or test. But you read that passage and you're like, did I just see the devil try to use the Bible on Jesus by referencing one of the Psalms? It's exactly what happens. It's the great duel of how we're going to really believe and trust the Bible. And we're reminded that even the devil knew when it was time or maybe advantageous to use the Bible to his advantage. But Jesus doesn't fall for that. Jesus has been reminding us from the beginning and even from the New Testament that the Bible is given to us to point us to God and in the end to point us to the fact that He is the Word of God. And those of us who love Him immerse ourselves in the Scriptures. We, we make time to read the Bible, to study the Bible so that we will learn to love Him more. Now, I want to kind of wrap out this time with giving you just three very simple lenses that you can use in your life. You can use these as you think about 
what it means to interpret a situation in your life when you're reading the Bible and you get to a place where you have to make a decision, a difficult decision, a confusing decision, and you're like, what does the Bible say? It's a great question. I have those all the time. And so let me tell you three important approaches or lenses that you might use. And I'll just tell you them, all three, and then I'll explain each one individually. The first one is a devotional lens. A devotional lens is what every Christian and Jewish person before Christianity existed learned and experienced as they tried to interact with the scriptures. Whether they could read them or whether they had memorized them, right? Even the Psalms as written prayers and songs would have been understood and received devotionally meaning that they were forming people to experience this devotional way of life. The second one is that we approach the scriptures to interpret them when we have to make a directional decision. So directional, or sometimes I like to call this a discernment phase in your life. So you have devotional and you have directional. And the last one is a doctrinal understanding when we approach the scripture. So there's a doctrinal lens in which we're looking at a specific doctrine in the Bible. And these three lenses are ones we use interchangeably. They happen all the time. But if we're not careful, they collapse together and we approach the Bible almost doctrinally when we're wrestling with something devotionally, which is a, big, it's a really big problem and a dangerous thing that can cause a lot of conflict. So uh, let me just help unpack these three kind of lenses of interpretation that we all have to learn. And they all come to us in different times in our lives, but the most prominent one that we experience is devotional reading of the Bible. That we approach the scriptures in a devotional way, in a way to just hear God speak to us, to feed on it, right? Like, like we, we talked about, Jesus feed on it and, and we're feeding on it and other people help us. And that's done, you can do most of that by yourself. It's actually great to do it alone because we can quietly listen to God say to us how a passage is coming alive for us. It's a devotional reading of the Bible. It's one of the greatest habits you develop. I think Jesus would have had multiple times where he did this when he was quiet and spending quiet time with the Father. It's devotional reading. The second one is almost more communal. It really requires a community, whether it's a small group or a church family or, you know, that when we make decisions or directional decisions or something that requires discernment, we need someone else's lens on us as we read the Bible with them. I remember when my wife and I made the big decision of leaving the church we were at to plant the church we're at now, it was such a difficult decision. We loved the church we were a part of. We loved that community. But we had a sense and a burden that God was calling us to do something new. We had no idea what that was going to mean. And I remember reading the Bible and hearing God say of the importance of going where people don't know the gospel and the commitment and sacrifices I was reading about. But I couldn't just make that decision alone. I needed her discernment and her guidance in that together. And that wasn't enough. I then went to the elders of my church and leaders in my church who also helped me discern the decision I had to make there. Now that's different than the devotional reading of the Bible. It's a directional, more discerning way that we read the Bible. This happens at different times in our life. It happens if you're getting married or picking a school or having to make a big decision, but it's important. And it's not something we do alone. You actually should never do it alone. You should always say, God, is this feeling like a, a, a time where I'm reading your scriptures and I'm discerning a decision? And if that's the case, you just want to slow it down and say, God, 
Who are some of the trusted people that you've placed in my life that could help me discern this with me as I read the scriptures and I discern what the Bible's saying? The third one. The third one is the most complicated and it's the one we should do the least amount of time, which is doctrinal. The doctrinal framework of the Bible is the doctrines that we have been given by the church that we already believe as Christians. Like, and these are the essential teachings of the church. In some Christian contexts, it's the creed of the church, and it should be. It's the resurrection and the trinity and the scriptures. It's, it's these framing non-negotiables of the faith. And they actually existed, these, these, these kind of essentials of the faith were there even before the written scriptures had all come together. And in those doctrinal moments, we realize that when there's a doctrinal decision, and some of you know this, where conflict is emerging, most often a denominational family is involved. If it's a really healthy decision, multiple denominational families are involved or multiple Christian organizations are working together to talk about a real complicated doctrinal issue. Because we know that when we're getting down to a doctrinal challenge, that the passages in scripture that are not always clear the way we'd like them to be require discernment in a communal way. So I like to call that in major doctrinal changes, we want to think about what, would, what has the universal church said? What has the church throughout history said about this issue? How have other Christians in other denominations understood this passage? That'll help us understand that doctrines are not just flippant things we just made up. They're things we've kind of journeyed and discerned with others with us. And it also reminds us that sometimes we negotiate differences even when we're not sure we affirm something. This is a hard thing for people. I think of it in my own life, the times that I, I've changed my perspective on something or I've changed the view I had on a certain issue in the Bible and, and it's one of those secondary issues that the Bible makes room for me to change my mind. You know, somebody once said that smart people change their minds. And yet for some reason, we've created churches where we tell people they can never change their minds. It's a fascinating thing. And the reason that happens is that we collapse these three ways of reading the Bible into one. But we are called that on major doctrinal issues, we rarely will ever change our mind. But we're thankful that Christians rethought some major things throughout history. And you can think of some of those things. But we rarely really have to do that. Now, on discerning types of things, like right, you might change your mind a lot of ways on how you're discerning God's leading for your life, for the life of your kids, for the life of your family. And on a devotional level, you might grow a lot. There's changes also lots there. So I want to encourage you that next time you're reading the Bible and learning to hear Jesus speak to you through the Bible, ask yourself, am I entering a season that requires just some devotional commitment, a new level of closer, closeness to Jesus? Am I entering a season or is my time in Scripture today requiring some discernment about a decision I have to make? Or am I kind of really wrestling with a doctrinal issue? And if you're getting close to the doctrinal issue, that's something I would encourage you to talk to a leader and a pastor and a denominational group of people. Read some important theological documents that have been provided from, from different scholars, from different families of churches, which will give you a broad perspective. That might really help you and stretch you in your growth of understanding the Bible. So you, I told you at the beginning, right, that this is a really practical issue. Most people's experience with the Bible ends and rises on these issues. That they have a reading of the Bible that they like, they prefer, it's a preference. If people don't believe it, they ignore them. And, and we really need to foster a kind of humility of people who love the truth, who hear the truth in grace, and who model humility when we're wrestling with something difficult. If, if we had time, I would show you how in the Bible, Paul himself will be teaching those earliest Christians to do that as it relates to issues, meat that was sacrificed to idols, and when they could eat that, or what do you do with like 
Some issues people related to alcohol where people get nervous about, like, what does the Bible say about alcohol and what do we do with that? And alcohol in the Bible is different than alcohol today. So you can see how, man, a tidal wave of questions would emerge. So this takes time and discernment. But I'll tell you this much. The people who are living lives shaped by letting the words of the Bible make them more like Jesus are most likely the people you can trust to really work through some major doctrinal issues that require real humility and time and patience. It's very, very dangerous to, to kind of just dive into a major doctrinal issue because you have a question without ever having worked up and really learned the devotional reading of the Bible. I often use this phrase that tells people like, we would never teach a young person calculus before they can add or multiply. The next thing a teacher would ask you is like, if you want to learn calculus, you have to learn how to multiply and divide. Right? We know with almost every other field, like there's steps of learning before you get to the complicated issue. And for some reason, because we live in a time where information is available at our fingertips, we think that as Christians, we have this, we should dive into a major doctrinal confrontation on the internet or with a friend or at a church meeting without saying, you know what? I just need to get serious about my devotional reading of the Bible. I just need to learn how to discern how God speaks to me when I make decisions. And, and that doesn't mean you don't have an opinion or it doesn't, you know, doesn't matter for you to share about doctrinal concerns, but that there would be things that push and force things to almost break something or cause conflict. It's something we, we should slowly slow down and reconsider. As we close the session, I just want to encourage you to think about ways that God has been talking to you throughout these different, these different sessions and throughout this series. And I want to leave you with one last passage from the Bible about what the Bible's meant to do. In, in the book of Hebrews, this is what we're told in chapter 4 about how God uses the Bible still today for us. And this is what we, it says. For the Word of God, and now it's talking about you know, the scriptures that are av available to people. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow. I mean, the inner workings of a body is the image that the writer is giving us. And able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I mean, when's the last time you let God do that to you? When's the last time you got really, really honest and let your reading of the Bible and the scriptures as the living word of God begin to pinpoint things in your life that you needed to grow in? Areas in your life that you needed to mature in? Areas in your life that you've ignored? Sins in your life and habits that you're like, you know what? I can win a doctrinal debate, but that's nobody's business. That's private. That's not how Christianity works. Part of the faith is that those who follow Jesus walked with him and lived with him and saw him and modeled what it's like for the living words to transform them. I don't know if you've been reading the Bible for even have a Bible, but my prayer has been, like I said at the beginning of these sessions, is that you would find time to make reading the Bible more of a priority. Now, there's so much interest that's developing in the world. And, and even recently, CBC Podcast released a podcast on the lost art of Scripture, meaning that there's interest about the Bible and about ancient writings and scriptures of religion all around us. We have a responsibility as Christians to take seriously what it means that we were once called people of the book, people who took so seriously the, the Hebrew Bible, the book of Israel, and now the New Testament that has shaped what it means that we are followers of Jesus, the one that the Bible is meant to point us to. I don't know what it's going to take for you, but I'm going to warn you of something that I see in my life all the time, that it's easy for me to get to a place to just read the Bible or even ignore the Bible and never let the writings of the scriptures transform me. And so as I close and I just pray, I'm going to ask that you would be open to how the Spirit is going to work, 
how the living words of God are going to start and penetrate maybe some of those difficult and broken parts of your life, of your heart. Maybe as you hear me speaking, you're carrying some incredible anxieties and fears. Or you're just feeling this incredible tension and anger and you're not sure what to do with it, where it goes. There's something about God's words that have a way of just kind of parsing that and saying, I know you're overwhelmed about all these things, but let's look at this thing first. Let's just split this up here. And let's just look at how what my son said, what Jesus said in the scriptures can transform who we are and who, who you are right now, what you're going through right now. So let me just pray for us as we close. God, I thank you for uh, the gift of the scriptures. I thank you for the years of church history and the ways Christians have learned to approach the Bible in different ways. And I pray that even some of the, the lessons that we've learned, the lenses that we've looked at, would be helpful for us as we grow in our maturity in reading the Bible and interacting with important, difficult parts of the Bible, but also, and most of all, desiring to be transformed by how your Spirit renews us. I pray for those who are listening who uh, are just today overwhelmed. They would not even know where to begin with the Bible. They would not know where to start reading it and maybe they just need a friend or a community or, or a church family to just begin to help them to study the Bible properly. I pray you would find them where they are, the way you found me where I was. When I began reading the Bible because I was afraid of the end of the world or something bad happening to me. And I pray that they would get to the place where they would hear you saying to them that you are the one who gives life and life eternal. And so we thank you for these times and for the way your scriptures have helped us to make you the center of our lives. Stir in us a new revival, a new hunger to feed on your words so that we would model to the world what it means that we are witnesses of the fact that you did not just come and die and live thousands of years ago, but that you are alive today in our lives, in our churches, in our communities. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for watching, everyone, and really appreciate the time that you've taken with your church and in whatever context you're in to really think more deeply about the Bible. We pray it really encourages you and gives you a new confidence to be able to interact and have dialogue with friends and people you know maybe who don't even believe in the Bible yet. So see you soon. God bless. Thank you so much for gathering with us online together. Dom, thank you from the bottom of my heart for this series that you put together and walked us through. I hope that uh, you have been encouraged as uh, richly as I have. It's been phenomenal to have your teaching, Dom. Um, continue to join with us. Saturdays at 5 p.m. Next Saturday, I'll be back as we are back into the book of Acts and looking at how um, the Jesus movement, followers of the way, followers of Jesus are transforming their world and how we too can take that message, the good news of Jesus, and transform our world. So continue to join us on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube at The Well Binbrook. Uh, share, like, subscribe, do what you need to do to get the word out there so that we can continue to connect people with Jesus because that is our heart's desire. Uh, if you or somebody you know wants more information about starting a relationship with Jesus, taking the next steps of baptism, family dedication. I know it's strange times, but let's get creative. I'm excited for what the future holds. I'm excited for what God is doing in our midst, and I'm excited to meet with you again soon. May the grace and peace of Jesus be with you. Amen.